Well, this is perhaps the strangest Holy Thursday um, I've ever celebrated. Uh, Father Frank and I, uh, before Mass tonight, uh, were talking about how odd it is, but also, you know, bittersweet it is, because as priests, um, we just love our people so much. And uh, we love to celebrate Mass for you and with you and to be with you. And so as priests, our hearts ache for you and long to have you with us. So I'm very glad that you're, you're watching. I can't tell if you're paying attention or not, um, but, <laughs> but we have kind of a captive audience. You're not going anywhere, which is good because you're primed for a very long homily. Normally, I do about a 10 to 12 minute homily, but I'm supposed to cover three themes and I usually only cover one, so I'm thinking 36 minutes should do it. So strap in. Um, okay. Let's start with the priesthood. The priesthood of God doesn't just go back 2,000 years. It goes back 5,000 years. For God chose men to be priests to offer sacrifice on behalf of his people all the way into the Old Testament. And what we have with Jesus Christ is a fulfillment of all of that came before, all of the Old Testament. It all comes to its proper fruition. The same is true for, of course, the priesthood. So we have the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Now, probably the most important thing we need to remember about the priesthood, what is it that priests do? Why are there priests in the first place? It's to offer sacrifice. They offer sacrifice on behalf of God's people. They're mediators between the people and God. This is one reason why so many of you, you know, you've, you've given me your, your intentions and your names, and, and um, it's amazing how many in my book of intentions I have, how many names are listed there, um, because I see this as proper to who I am as your priest, someone who is interceding for you. So the priesthood goes, you know, all the way back, all the way back into the Old Testament. And one of the things we want to look at then relative to this sacrifice is Passover and how priesthood and Passover are connected and how all of this finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ and the Holy Eucharist. So remember the Passover, and we heard in the first reading, and, and God is telling Moses and Aaron, this is what's supposed to happen, because the, the angel of the Lord is going to pass over the homes who have sacrificed this lamb. So take a lamb, slaughter the lamb, consume the lamb, and spread its blood on the doorpost, and the angel of the Lord will pass over and spare you. You will be saved because you have consumed the lamb and the blood has been shed, okay? It's very important. So the, so the Lord institutes this for the people and then he has them do it over and over and over and over for hundreds and hundreds of years. So it's just built into them. It's built into their culture about taking a lamb, an unblemished lamb, sacrificing it and remembering how they were saved in Egypt. Well, Jesus, 
right? Comes and begins to teach his apostles. And one of the things he taught his apostles, remember, it's John chapter 6. He tells, he tells uh, his apostles and all the people, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will not have life within you. And this greatly shocked them all. How is this? How can this be? How are we supposed to consume? And, and he didn't back down. He kept reiterating, nope, unless you feed on me, you will not have life because of me. You will not have life. So everyone left him because of this teaching, except for the disciples. But they still didn't get it. They didn't understand. And then there was that Passover meal, the Last Supper, the Passover. And in that moment, Jesus took the bread and the wine and he blessed it. And he said, this is my body, eat of it. This is my blood, drink of it. And yet you have to think at that moment, the disciples who had it just built into them about the Passover lamb, the unblemished lamb who has to be consumed to be saved, at that moment, the light bulbs went off and they said, oh, this makes sense. So everything the Father gave us before has prepared us for this moment when the Savior has come and fulfilled the promises of old. And now he fulfills even this Last Supper and gives us his very self to consume so that we might be saved. This is the sacrifice of the Lord. This is the unblemished lamb who is sacrificed on our behalf. And so here we have then the institution of the Eucharist. And then he tells his, his apostles, do this in remembrance of me. And then we hear in that second reading, St. Paul, right? He's writing to the early Catholics and he's recounting. This is how you don't forget. This is what we're supposed to do. And what does this tell us? This tells us that already in the early church, they had a clear understanding of the Eucharist. They clearly understood these instructions from the Lord Jesus. And it was put into practice widely right away. The belief in the real presence the belief, belief that Jesus was the one sacrifice to end all sacrifices so that we might be saved. Now, this Eucharist then is given to us to sanctify us, to save us, to set us free. However, it's more than that. Because if, if the Eucharist is just something that we keep to ourselves, as it were, or, you know, we're sort of egocentric about it, that it's just about me and God, we're losing our full understanding of the Eucharist. And this is why, in the Gospel tonight, John presents the Last Supper a little bit differently than the other three, the other three writers. He presents the Last Supper as the washing of feet. It's very interesting. And why is that? This great commandment, the mandatum, this great commandment of Jesus Christ that we are to wash one another's feet. Because there's an intrinsic connection between receiving that saving grace of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist and then taking that grace out to those in our midst, sacrificing for one another, putting one another's needs before our own. What a humbling act. And remember, everyone is wearing, at this time, 
They're all wearing sandals, and they're not wearing, they're not goofy. They're not wearing socks with their sandals. Their feet are bare, right? They've been walking around all day, and Jesus says, I'm going to wash you. You can imagine what's on their feet. You can imagine. It's worse than your dad's feet. It's horrible. And so that's why Peter protests. He's like, no, you can't wash my feet. I know where I've walked. The humbling act of kneeling down and serving his disciples. And and the Lord, when he finishes, he understands that they don't completely understand what he's done. But he's trying to get it across to them that, look, if I can do this, you've got to do it too. What a great opportunity we have right now, locked in our homes, to serve one another. I mean, I, I, I've been thinking about this, how many, how many husbands and wives are sort of reintroducing themselves. Because, you know, you get into your, your, uh, you know, your typical day and your procedure and everything else and routines. And a lot of times we don't, you know, really focus on relationship, especially, especially if you got kids, you know, but as, as a married couple, you kind of go about doing what you do. And now everyone's forced together. Everyone's routines are upset, right? Even the kids can't get away from you. You know, nobody can get away. It's, it's very odd, but it can lead to a lot of stress, I think it can lead to a lot of stress. It can, it can lead to people really having to look at their relationships. Relationships between uh, spouses, relationships between, you know, children, siblings, and then children and parents. And if you're alone, there's a lot of people out there who are alone. I'm alone. Well, I have a dog, but she just pesters me all day. So it's not the same thing, right? Many of you are alone like I'm alone, and that's different too because we're isolated. So we we each have this ability, though, to sacrifice. Husbands toward wives, wives toward husbands, to to really look at those relationships and say, you know what, maybe I need to change a little bit. Teenagers, maybe I need to change a little bit. Children and siblings, maybe we need to change. This is a different time for us. And the way we'll get through it is sacrificing for one another. And if we're alone, those of us who are alone, there's so much sacrifice we can do for those in our midst. I mean, how many of us now are praying more for our family, for our loved ones? You know, we're, we're probably filled with a bit of anxiety for those we love and then we can't see them. Uniting together in prayer. And that prayer becomes an act of sacrifice, which is an act of love right? It's a way of making sacred our actions toward one another. And so our goal then, as we receive the Eucharist, is to take our own selves who have been made sacred and to be able to take that out to those around us. Now, those of you who are at home, of course, you can't receive Holy Eucharist today. So what I invite you to do is to make an act of spiritual communion. Uh, during the Eucharistic prayers, that's being said, and then at, at communion time. You know, it's, it's a conscious act of the will in our hearts, 
We say, Lord, I desire to be with you. I desire to receive you. I desire to receive the graces you have for me. Please give me those graces now. Fill me with that grace and that goodness. And let us trust that the Lord will do this for us, especially in such a difficult time.